All right, so this is Jamie from Stillmeyer Games, and as usual, I'm here to talk about a top 10 list of games. I have a special guest with me today. This is Mitchell Whitfield. Um, Mitchell and I become, have become friends, remote friends, virtual friends, through his podcast, Your Tech Report. And I've really enjoyed our conversations, mostly about games on his podcast, but a little bit about technology. And uh, Mitchell, welcome so much. Thank you for joining me today for this. Are you are you kidding? Thank you. I've I've been watching. Obviously, I'm a fan of the company and your games, but I've also been watching your videos, and I've been watching your top tens and think you know mechanisms you like. So to be a part of one, it's 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 an honor, but it's also nerve wracking, as I sort of told you before. <laughs> Just putting together this list, like oh, did I get it right? Did I get it right? Every, yeah, every list is. I think it's a little harder than, than maybe people think before they start making their own top ten list. And I I do this pretty much every week. So divide, deciding between like, okay, is this number four? Is this number three? How do you make that that difference? Yeah, that was, I was subjective. gonna. I know I was gonna say you do it all the time, and it, I think it's easy because I like. I mean, like probably a lot of your fans and viewers, you know, they they watch the list probably like I do to learn about new games. Is this a game I might like? Or let me hear, let me hear what that person has, what she says about her top ten games. Maybe there's something on there I don't know about. And right. it's easy to sort of sit there like, huh, I don't know if I would have put that there. I don't know. <laughs> and, and then you put one together of your own and you're like, I will never be judgy again. Not that I was judgy before about lists. It's more informative than anything, right. but it's it's not easy. And to this right now, even having this list, I'm still in my mind tweaking it, which is funny and sad at the same time. Well, it's okay if you change something at the last minute too. Mitchell, I had Mitchell send me his top. I asked for 10. He gave me 11, uh, 10 through uh four but the final three are secret so i know what some of them are but not all of them um and so i'm looking forward to this discussion to hear what mitchell loves about these games so i love hearing mitchell talk about games but i haven't actually heard mitchell do a list before so this will be exciting also mitchell just to let you know on the image that i selected for this video i did select an old photo of you that's a little bit famous people might recognize that video that photo a little bit more than they recognize you now that's from um one of the movies that you've been in uh, do you want to let people know a little bit about that side of you before we jump in? I don't know if no, it's no, game stuff, but yeah. No, not at all. I mean, I've I've spent most of my life, uh, you know, the last four decades as a film and television actor. Um, done a lot of TV shows, a lot of movies. I've been lucky enough to be a part of a few things that have become iconic over the years. So I still get that. Wait, aren't you the guy from, which is decades later, which is always kind of cool and interesting to me. Um, and then over the last, I think, 10 years, I've always done voice work, but over the last 10 years, uh, more exclusively voice work than on camera film and television, although I still do that. Um, so I've been the voice of a lot of different animated characters that you'll see on TV and in the movies. And we have the radio show on Sirius XM and which we also put as a podcast, as you said. So I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of different stuff, but it's funny. And it's, this is really weird, Jamie, because I, I have social media accounts and I know as an actor, you're supposed to use it to further things and to let people know. And all I want to do is talk about board games and geeky stuff that I love. And I think people that follow me on social media sometimes expect to hear movie and TV related stuff. And they're, instead they're hearing about Crokinole and Wingspan and all the stuff that I love to play. So, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of interesting to me. So just know that if you end up following me, great, but you're going to hear a lot of nerdy stuff that just gives me joy. Cause that's what it's about, about things that give you joy at the end of the day. So. I love that. I love that. That's what, that's why I do with, uh, what I do. So I'm so high, I know. excited to hear about, some of the things that have brought you joy today. Let's start off with your honorable mentions. A few quick hits, things that didn't quite make the top 10 or 11. What are some yeah. on that list? That, that's, that, that was, this is was sort of a tough one for me because there are some that easily could have been on the top 10 and I will tell you those in particular. Uh, one of my honorable mentions is Sushi Roll. Uh, a wonderful dice drafting game that's just very accessible, a lot of fun to play. If you're a sushi fan, especially, you're going to love the game. Um, I don't know how much detail, I'm just going to mention them and then yeah, we can just, talk just about quick hits. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Champions of Midgard, you know, mm -hmm. if you're into Norse mythology and, uh, you know, just dudes on a map slash battling slash area control, there's a lot going on. Um, and it's just a really, really fun game. And it's I've never had a bad session, again, of Champions of Midgard. Uh, this was a tough one for me because Viticulture, okay, we'll get to this. Maybe you're familiar with it, Jamie. Viticulture <laughs> is just one of those games. And the way I told, the way I explained it to Jamie, one of my metrics for a great game is you don't care if you win or lose. The experience is that much fun and the ride is so much fun. And it's so, and it's a relaxing game. If a competitive game can be relaxing, I find Viticulture to be very relaxing. The theme, having your vineyard, making wine and selling the wine, it's just, it's a fun game. Again, never had a bad session. Anyone I introduce this to, even gamers that are new, uh, just love it and feel very at home playing this game. So Viticulture's up there. I wanted to put it on my top 10. I'll tell you why I didn't, because it's it's not <laughs> right. I should have. Uh, Land versus Sea, 
which is a game I think that, Jamie, I introduced to you. We talked about land versus sea. Um, and it's a very simple tile laying game, one person's land, one person's sea. You have to have more of your area on the board, but in putting your tile down, you're also helping the other players. So there's a lot of, it's very simple on the surface, but also takes a lot of thought and no two games are remotely similar. It's a really, a really fun two player game. Um, between two castles uh, of Mad King Ludwig, I mean, this easily, again, could have been on my top 10. A great, uh, I love this game. And again, on the surface, it may not seem as a gateway game for a new gamer, but I think when you are when you have a partner on both your left and right side, you have two helpers kind of built in yeah. uh, that can not only help you, but, you know, incentivize certain things in the game. It's so much fun passing those tiles, building your castle with two people and the great mechanic of only your lowest score will count. So it incentivizes you again to put equal effort into both. I, I love that game. Uh, Lords of Waterdeep. Yeah. Um, again, a, a, an area. Lords of Waterdeep. It's not an area control game. Would you? I mean, it's a work. I'm not sorry. It's a worker placement. The buildings. Yeah, there's control. Contract fulfillment yeah. and yeah. worker placement. You know, a lot of yeah. contract fulfillment there, and just the theme. Uh, again, for that D and D theme, for those people that love games that have that D and D or role play kind of theme, it's just so much fun. And it's one of the older game, maybe the older game, oldest game on the list, but it's yeah. held up really well. I played it recently. Still a ton of fun. Uh, I still enjoy that. The one that I didn't tell you about, I'm putting one last game on there oh, for my honorable mention. Yeah. And that because it's a dexterity game that I kind of blame you for pushing me over the edge to dive into, Jamie, as I blame you for a lot of gaming things that I do. Crokinole. Uh -huh. Crokinole. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I was gifted a Crokinole table by my wife um, and for my birthday, and I have not stopped flicking since. I know that sounds hideous, <laughs> but it's, it's just a great dexterity game. I think if Shuffleboard and Darts had a baby, it would be uh -huh. Crokinole. Uh, and I just, it, it's great. It's a great icebreaker. And again, for new gamers, getting this to the table, even though it's sort of unwieldy, it's a little bit large and hard to store, but you yeah. put it on the wall. It's a great conversation piece. Uh, and I, I love playing Crokinole. So those are my honorable mentions. I love this list. I mean, I, I love all the games on this list, um, except for Champions of Midgard, which I've never played. I, I really need really? to play that one. That one you would like that game. I promise yeah. you'll like that game. I'm sure I would love it. Um, I've heard great things about it. And I think a lot of people compare it to Lords of Waterdeep. Yes. I need to try that one. Um, and I wanted to thank you for introducing me to Land versus Sea. I did a video about that maybe about a, a month ago. That's, yeah. I think, the most recent play of any of these for me on, on this list. And it's just a wonderful... I, I'm thinking of it in my head as a dueling game, a 1v1 game. But I've heard yes. it does play well at 3 and 4 as well. I've never tried that. And I don't... Yeah. I, I should probably try just to experience that. But yeah. I'm totally okay also if I just play it as a 1v1 game. And again, it's like, it's weird. It's modern. It's, it's sort of chessy in the fact that it's a dueling game like that. But um, the pieces, you know, have different values in where you put them, not necessarily in what they are, what the images are. And, you know, the dual image. Oh, yeah, I can, I can, I can go on forever about that game. It's a really clever game. Yeah, very much so. Well, let's jump in. And I love I the the number you have. An, you slipped in a number 11 on this list and you slipped in I'm two already games difficult. at that slot. <laughs> and they're both very accessible, welcoming games and very short games. So why don't you tell me about Zombie Dice and Love Letter? You know, you nailed it. And I know there are going to be some hardcore gamers out there that are going, no, how could you put Zombie Dice on this? But there's, a, as Jamie said, there's a reason for it. It's the accessibility of these two games. Now, I have, yeah. of course... As this will be a uh -huh. shock to no one who knows me. I have the deluxe version, which has the even fancier <laughs> dice. And Jamie knows I'm a sucker for deluxified products, mostly because of you, because uh -huh. all the Stonemaier games always look so good. So I got the deluxe version of this. Um, Zombie Dice is just a, a, a press your luck, a push your luck dice chucking game where you're trying to consume 13 brains before anybody else at the table does. And you do that by rolling dice and you're, you're allowed to re-roll your dice. And it's it's very simple. And I know, like I said, the hardcore gamers out there are going to acknowledge it's very simple. It's not really a game. And I totally get that. But if you have people that have never played a game before, never played a board game, it scales really well. You can play with any number of people, really. Just sit at a table and say, hey, you know what? I know you guys are bored. I want to show you something. Come here. And yeah. it always leads to those moments where people are cheering and yelling. And even when it's not their turn, cheering for other people to either, yeah. you know, mostly to get their role. You don't really root against people in this game. It's just so much fun to root for them. Yeah. And it's just, it's simple fun and it's accessible, like you said. And I, I feel similarly about Love Letter. Mm -hmm. And this was really my, my gateway game. Uh, being reintroduced to the hobby because I think we talked about this a while on the radio show, Jim. But I, I was gaming when I was a kid. I was into 221B Baker Street, which I think is still in print, believe it or not. Uh, uh -huh. Social deduction game, a Sherlock Holmes game. Then I stopped gaming for a while. And in the last several years, I've really, I took that big dive, you know, off the cliff. And you can look in my garage in my office here. It's crazy. Uh -huh. My brother, 
um, was in town, was visiting visiting us here in California and said, hey, I brought this game, Love Letter. And it's a simple card game. Everyone has you know, a card. It's a draw a card, play a card. And I know that's a mechanism or the play a card draw card that you're very familiar with and that you love too. Right. Um, and basically it's a simple card playing game where either the last person that's alive wins. And it's very simple because you only have to do what the card tells you. It's very, a game that again, teaches itself. Uh, all the cards have different things. One card, if you play, it'll say, uh, if you know this, allow you to guess the card that the other one of the other players has in their hand. If you guess it correctly, they're out. So it's yeah. kind of a survival game played in multiple rounds, and it's so clever. And it's again on the surface seems very simple, but it lets you sort of learn is you know the, the bluffing techniques, the, the the way the people's minds work. If you know someone, you might have a little bit of an advantage knowing how they think and how they're trying to trick you with what card they may have. But right. it's just a simple game that has more depth than you would think a two card game would ever have. And again, a great icebreaker. So Love Letter and Zombie Dice, guilty pleasures that lived somewhere between honorable mention and the list. That's why they are my number 11. Do you do you have a favorite version of Love Letter? Have you played multiple versions or just the original? Uh, I have. Um, I've played multiple versions. Um, I sort of, you know, being a superhero geek too, I love the Batman version. But I have to tell you, my new favorite version is this is actually the latest. It's This is the newest print of Love Letter that okay. adds up to six players because the original game uh -huh. was a four-player max, right? Yeah. yeah. This one adds uh, two more cards, which is the spy card. And it scales up to six, which I think is great because sometimes we can't get to this table if we have you know, if we're going crazy and have more than four people. Uh, and, and that's why I think I, this this is my new favorite version of it. But there are so many versions. There's an Archer version. I think there's Adventure. There's so many versions, which is another reason I love the game. Yeah. You could, you know, iterate on this endlessly because if you could just retheme, the, you know, the, the cards and it plays just as well. But yeah, I think, I think the new standard version is my favorite. Awesome. Those are both fun. I, I enjoy both those games for the reasons that you so eloquently said. Um, so I, I do want to, I, I want to go into number 10, because this is the one game on the list that I, not only have I not played it, I know nothing about this game. So tell me why you love your number 10 game. What is that number 10 game? Well, Jamie, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> that, and again, this is going to be, this might not be familiar to some, to some people that are watching. Uh, this is Village Attacks. I should learn how to frame myself better. Uh, this is Village Attacks. This is uh, dudes on a map, uh, tower defense style game. But the hook of this game is, Instead of playing the good guys fighting off the bad guys, this is you are the bad guys fighting off the good guys. And I think there have been some games since that have used that as part, you know, thematically, but this was the first that I knew of. And just the the idea of getting to play the monsters uh -huh. and the tower defense part comes in, the the townspeople come to you, come at you, and it's on it's on a map that's not that dissimilar to, and there are different tiles you can lay down. It's not that dissimilar to zombie side in the way okay. that it looks. Um but you know you have the heart of the castle, which you're protecting, which has its own little dial, and you have your health, of course, and all of the monsters that you're playing, asymmetric abilities. So depending on what monster you're playing, you have the abilities that could combine with your teammates. So there, it, it does, again, it's a cooperative game. Uh, the game itself controls the hordes of angry villagers that uh -huh. attack you with pitchforks and you know torches, of course, because that's what angry villagers do. Right. And you know, much like a zombie side game where it ramps up in terms of the enemies that are coming at you, they have you have the villagers, which are kind of harmless, but they kind of come at you in large numbers, so that becomes mm -hmm. problematic. And then you have their champions, which are more powerful, so they ramp up the, the abilities of the miniatures and their you know the the bad guys are, or the good guys, which are the bad guys to you. <laughs> Uh, that come on the maps, you are battling them. Uh, it uses a great dice mechanism, dice rolling, and of course, some of the most beautiful custom dice, as you can see. Again, we we we, we know it's it's sad. Uh, beautiful <laughs> custom dice, but I love the fact that it turns the traditional tower defense or dudes on a map on its ear. Not only that, Jamie, but they put out a bunch of expansion packs that have multiple monsters that you can play, and they did a really cool thing where they took different monsters from different countries um different areas of the world so it really is an inclusive game that brings you know i i know they have um krampus of course from german lore the anti-santa very dark uh -huh. character but they have other characters that they pull from south america from europe so it really you know if wherever you are from in the world there is a monster that represents you you are represented by a monster <laughs> in this game which i think was a really cool thing to do in a way of just bringing everyone together in the game and introducing you to different types of lore so yeah. uh yeah Village Attacks, it's, you know, I, again, this game just makes me smile. I haven't played it in a while. Didn't mean to rhyme there. But um, when I play it, it's just it's just a fun, fun game. Again, a little bit of dice chucking, 
lot of tower defense, but also mixing up those monsters and combining your abilities to their best advantage. Uh, it, it's just a, a great fun game to play. That does sound like a lot of fun. I need to try that. And I am curious for the for the villagers attacking you, the, the all the, the the good people who are attacking you. Does it is it complicated to control them, or is it fairly simple? A fairly simple system. That's that's a really good question because there are games like this, and I know there are you know times when Zombie Side can become sort of unwieldy when yeah. when Zombie Side has so much going on. We found it was pretty easy to control. I think there were a couple of times where it became a bit of a cluster, and there weren't enough miniatures that things get really out of control. You can mm -hmm. run a miniature or two short, but in terms of the yeah. AI control of those characters. The, you know, I didn't find, we did not do a lot of rule book diving, which is usually what happens when things like this get right. out of control. You're like, okay, how do I handle the adjacency? If there are two groups here and there's a one, what do I do? I, we didn't have that much trouble with it, which was interesting because I thought we would. So I think the AI is handled fairly elegantly and we didn't have mm -hmm. too many troubles, uh, too many problems, you know, sort of, you know, keeping things organized and keeping the rules organized. And I heard as to how to handle, you know, the hordes that were coming. So the game did a good job of that. Nice, nice. So that's number 10, Village Attacks. Let's look at number nine, which I'm guessing is probably one of your, your you love to unbox games. I'm guessing this was a really nice unboxing experience based on the components from my copy as well. What is your number nine game, Mitchell? Well, Jamie, first of all, I appreciate you asking that on my top <laughs> 10 list here with Jamie Stegmeyer. Uh, it is Merchants of the Dark Road. Yeah. Um, it's an <laughs> Elf Creek game. And, you know, much like Stonemeyer. Elf Creek Games puts out games that are beautiful, beautiful components. And like you said, uh, unboxing this for me and organizing it was such a joy. There is a lot. I mean, this is a fairly hefty box. Yeah. But as as hefty as the box looks, it's sort of like the clowns in a car because you keep pulling stuff out of here and you're like, how did that fit in there? How do, it's a small dog. I mean, there's so much <laughs> packed into this box, including, again, the theme, a ton of custom dice. Um yeah. This is a game, again, where the theme plays a big role in it for me. Um, it's a it's a Rondell-style order, you know, order fulfillment game. Is that a good way of putting it, you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And um, But the theme is, instead of, again, you being the adventurers, you know, in a D&D-like city or town like Waterdeep, uh, in this game, you are the merchants. You're the ones supplying all the heroes and adventurers that go through this town with the materials, the weapons they need to go and fight the baddies. And you are fulfilling a lot of these orders. Uh, the really cool thing about this, there, there are a couple of cool mechanics with this one, but one of the cooler ones is, you know, sometimes in games, Jamie, I know you know this as well, you know, you're waiting for your turn, you know, to yeah. come around the board. And, you know, in, in some games, it happens quickly. In other games, you're just sort of Okay, that's what you're doing is neat, but what about me? What about me? That yeah. selfish part of the game or that where, you know, you want to take your turn. But one of the things I love about this game is that you can join someone. If, if you're going, if it's your turn and you're, you're going to make a delivery somewhere on the board in this world, uh, you know, one of the things you say is, would anybody like to come with me? And I say, Jamie, yes, I would. Yeah. I have something I can deliver. And I might not get the same exact bonus that Jamie would get because it's his turn, but I do get something out of that turn. Um, so I love the fact that it keeps you, it keeps you involved. It keeps every player involved during everyone else's turn because there's a chance that you can benefit from that player's turn as well. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is, you know, one, one of the things that this has that I also love is it has that magnetic wheel. Oh, the, the wizardry of having that silly magnetic wheel on the Mag board yeah. that attaches. And the other, the other thing, the other mechanism that I really like is, uh, you can only hold a certain amount of items that you can sell. Right. And the way they do that, do this is, you know, you have your wagon. Everyone has a different sort of style caravan on this dual layer board, which is beautiful. But you have your weapons and the goods that you're selling are all polyominoes. Mm -hmm. So you can only carry the things that you can, you know, that you can Tetris into your particular caravan cart. So yeah. it's a really interesting mechanic that I don't think I've seen before uh, that just that kind of drew me in as well. Or mechanism, I keep on saying mechanic. Um so that that that's something that I was really drawn to as well. It's like, oh, I get a polyomino game built uh -huh. into this great Rondell style action selection, pick up and deliver, create. There's a lot of stuff going on in the game. The one thing I would, there is a caveat here. And I know Jamie has said this on some of his videos. Someone should learn the game before it gets to the table rather than everyone learning together. Yeah. Um, I found that, you know, it was the rule book was a little bit a little bit tough for me to sort of digest on my own. So I had friends that were helping me through it. And once you get it, you get it. Once yeah. you get this game, it's done. I didn't we didn't have to go back, but it's good to have someone that knows this game in advance because there's a lot going on. It's not that the rule book is 
bad. Or, it's just there's a lot happening in this game. So it takes time to digest. But once you do, the game is so much fun. And it's one of these games that looks beautiful on the table. The people have come by and go, what is that? Well, it's Merchants of the Dark Road. <laughs> and you have, the, I think, the fanciest version there. My box is not as deep as your box there. So I, I don't think I have as fancy. But I did have my favorite component of the game was in both versions. And that is the... The, other than the magnets are those the tiles that have a normal side and like a legendary side yes and it's uh they use the gold foil. foil and so yes and just that little touch of foil really makes it feel special when you flip it over i think it's pretty much exactly the same maybe they're slightly better slightly higher value but that foil is a nice touch but i think yeah. i think that's really that's something to that's something to keep in mind i think for a lot of people because i think yeah. there's this idea that in order to deluxify a game or which which always increases the increases the cost so it increases the price because it's yeah. they're expensive do these things add up but a touch like that a simple touch just putting that gold putting that shimmery you know then you made you know um what was it red rising you made some beautiful cards as well that i was yeah. like what and I, so much so that i don't even want to play them because i'm afraid <laughs> i don't want to damage them they're so beautiful but even a touch like that yeah. Just you don't need a miniature. You don't need to have all the plastic in order to make something feel premium. So that's a really good point. That that gold foil, mm, beautiful. So that's number nine, Merchants of the Dark Road. Speaking of not needing miniatures, let's talk about Destinies, which is packed with miniatures of different sizes. Destinies, your number eight pick. Why do you love Destinies? Destinies? I love Destinies. This is this is. I would call this, and I know people are going to get turned off when I say this. It's an app-assisted adventure game. Mm -hmm. And before people run away and, and turn off their screens and pause the video, uh, I know there are some folks out there that just categorically do not like the idea of an app-assisted game, which I understand. But in my in my thinking, or to my way of thinking, there are different types of games. There are so many different types of games. Normally, most of the games I play are not app-assisted. They're analog, old school, pushing cubes, rolling dice, fantastic. But some games are different experiences. And app-assisted games can be a different experience. Have you played this one, Jamie? I have. I have. Okay. Yeah. Um, and believe it or not, for a thin box like this is, Jamie's right, they are packed with miniatures. Yeah. Some of them so small <laughs> that you need the colored ring on the bottom to know who your character is on the board because they are, yeah. some of them are literally this big. Yeah. Um, but this is an adventure game. Uh, it's a it's it's a competitive game where up to and again an odd player count of three players. three players i have to yeah. see i know i know the witchwood expansion i think just went on uh just went on kickstarter at the time of this recording so yeah. i wonder if that ups the player count but it's for up to three players um and at the beginning of the game you're given a destiny card something you need to achieve your end game goal and everyone in the game is and some of them are sort of multi-tiered uh but everyone has something slightly different or there might be some crossover between you and another player and this comes in really handy in terms of the app, the app sort of keeps everything not organized because you have your, your bits in front of you on your player board with your ability track that you maneuver, manipulate yourself. You have coins, you have dice. But when you have encounters in the game, uh, when you go to different towns, different areas, it triggers the app to tell you the story of what's happening. It does a great job of setting mood, I think, of setting a mood for this game. And then the narrative, the narration is really good, especially for time year, you know, like Halloween, where you're trying to set that mood when you're playing your game. Yeah. And it really behooves you. I'm going to start bringing notepads the next time I play the game. Another one of these games that mm -hmm. on someone else's turn, even though you don't benefit in terms of gaining coin or gaining experience, you benefit in terms of knowledge. So sometimes, you, you know, if Jamie and I are playing and we're playing against each other, you know, we're still, there's still information that he might get from his adventure that I might learn from that I need for my ultimate destiny. I'll never forget, Jamie, I was playing with my friends, Jack and Eric. And I, one of my things was one of my destiny, I had to find this horse and it wasn't a regular horse. It was this special horse. I don't know if you've done this mission or not. And I had to find this darn horse and you can go around. Sometimes you get lucky in one of the early places you go has either the item you need or the information you need. Other times you're going around this board and it's hard. It, it could take a while to navigate. It's a big board yeah. that you, you know, you, you know, what is it? Uh, um, Fog, what is the term I'm looking for? Uh, like fog of war. Fog yeah, of like war, you where you're turning yeah. over, you can't see exactly. Thank you for helping me. Yeah. So, and there, I was looking for this darn horse. It took me forever. I finally find it, but I couldn't get it on that turn because I didn't have the right thing that that person wanted to barter. He was bartering with me. Uh, on the very next turn, my friend Jack comes in, goes in, he has it and takes the horse. And I've been looking for this horse for like 45 minutes and he looks at me and I'm like, Jack, really? He's like, you're not the only one who needed that horse. Straight face, didn't care. It, did, it was just totally clinical. I was like, listen, it's nothing against you. I need that horse and now you can't have it. And so it has those moments where you're like, I will get you in this game. Um, but I love the fact that there are shared destinies that, you know, incentivize you again 
to sort of pay attention to the other players and what they're going through because you may need that information. But all in all, again, I think it's a really well done game. The app really does a great job of setting mood and scanning cards and telling you what happens in battles that you're not rolling dice for. I think the app doesn't get in the way. I think it yeah. enhances the experience. So for me, yeah. Destinies and its many expansions. What would you put Destinies at? Number eight. Well, it's pretty high up there. Okay. Number eight, Destinies. Thank you for sharing about that. Yeah, I was very curious, given your the your tech report show, I was very curious if you'd have a game on the list with uh, with the, with App Assistant or any, any sort of technology. I think Destinies are a great pick for that. And I also really like the um, the skill test mechanism in it. It's been yes. a little while since I played it, but I just... I. It, it has some great decision points in, within that skill test and some beautiful custom dice. Again, you seem to, that yep. seems to be a cat pattern here. Beautiful <laughs> yes, <custom it> does. <laughs> dice. Um, but it's just a really, really great skill test system, I think, for it, other designers to look at. Yeah, and I've never seen that before because basically you have a choice of using your coin to either, you know, buy items or, you know, sort of change change where, you know, change the numbers for your skill test and move the, move the markers to narrow, you know, to enhance your chances of getting better roles. So even having that choice in that, yeah, no, it's, it's great. I, I agree. It's a great system. So that's Destinies at number eight. Number seven, we have a game that may look abstract, but it's actually, I think, full of theme in my opinion. And that is... And one of my favorite games too. Oh, you have a, even you have prettier versions than I do of any of these games. <laughs> it's uh, not a competition, role Jamie. <laughs> role player. Role yeah. player. Uh, what do you love this, about role player? Oh, uh, what is not to love about role player? Yeah. Let me put this sucker down. It's, yeah, that's with, with great size box comes great weight. So yeah, it's it's all right. As soon as I pick them up, I have to put them down. Mm -hmm. um, the funny thing about role player is, as my voice grew, the funny thing about role player <laughs> is, I'm going into one of my animated characters, uh, is that you know the name aside. There's not a lot of dice rolling except to, you know, create the initial pool of dice that you're drafting from. This is this is really a dice drafting and dice placement game. Yeah. Um, would that be correct? The dice drafting, yeah. dra dice placement. Mm -hmm. And it's all built around the theme of creating a D&D &D character. Yeah. Um, so if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons or done any other role playing game, sometimes part of the fun is creating that character and seeing mm -hmm. who you're going to become, what abilities you have, what you're going to do with those abilities. And in this game, you actually take the dice, you draft the dice, and you are you have a player board that has all the typical you know D and D tropes, you know dexterity, charisma, constitution, and you are building characters based on those dice and based on those abilities. You have a certain number uh, for all those abilities that are different for any character you take, and there are so many different races and um, classes that you can combine to make your character. That makes you could have different games pretty much endlessly, depending on the number of people that you play with, um, and you are you know, based on the character that you have in their class, you will have a certain number, like you have a 17, you know, 17 agility. So the closer you come to either staying under or maximizing exactly at that number, placing dice that add up exactly to that number, you'll get a certain bonus. Uh, there are certain bonuses in the game that will allow you to manipulate those dice, maybe to turn a dice, turn a die to a different number that will get you closer to the number that you need for that particular ability. Um, there's, there's a marketplace in this game, which is also fun. Uh, so just... I was drawn in 100% by the theme and the depth. Uh, the de I was very surprised by the depth of this game because you think yeah. on the surface, if I'm creating a character, I am drafting dice, I'm placing them, I'm mitigating those dice. Okay, but there's so much going on on your board, choosing your alignment, you know, good, right. evil, neutral, and how that affects things and how your mini board, mini board within your board can yeah. affect how you're able to manipulate things on your on your basic tableau as well. So it's just, it's really interesting, really fun. I'm just curious. I mean, do you have a favorite part of this game as well? Because there's a lot going on. Seemingly, when you explain it, it doesn't seem like, oh, it seems simple, but there's a lot of depth here, right? There is. There is. And one, one of my favorite things is uh, actually right, right at the beginning of the game, the designers made a very interesting decision to have you start with some dice in your tableau already. So you have a sense yes. of who your character is and who they're becoming and how the puzzle will uh, evolve for your specific character based on, I believe, eight starting dice. Maybe that scales by player count, but I, I think you start with around eight dice already set uh, by your choice in the in the tableau. I think that's a really really cool way to start. That it gives you a big decision to make at the beginning of the game, but it once really, you know really the does. game, it's a fun decision. Yeah, it really is, and I I think there have been a couple of games where, and as you know, yeah, I, you know what, I forgot about that. That's that is one of the fun parts of the game because right from the beginning. You're setting your board for better or for worse, because right. there have been times that halfway through the game, you're like, why did I put that there? Because you realize yeah. as you're building this tableau, 
if I'd only put that stupid white die in that different player. So, and they're different colored dice that represent different things and you're trying to match colors. So there's a lot, uh, I mean, there's just, there's a lot going on and it's, it's super yes. fun. And again, it feeds into that D and D theme as many of my games seem to with pretty dice. So yeah, apparently I, I have a thing that I like, so it's becoming more and more obvious as I'm watching my own list. Yeah. We'll see if that trend continues. That's role player at number seven. And then at number six, we have the game with seven in its name, Seven Wonders. You know what? I should have put it seven. That would have been two on the money though, right? You would have, you, you would have nailed me for that. Like, really? I'm like, no, Jamie, I just did it for you. Uh, yes, yeah, so you can hear there's a lot going on in here, but it's mostly cards. Yeah, Seven Wonders. Yeah. Um, this is, would you agree that I would call this a super elegant design? It's an elegant oh. design because it's very, it seems very, again, another game that seems very simple on the surface. But the depth here, it's a it's a card drafting, card passing, card drafting, um, and a combo building game with your cards. Um, and on the surface, again, you have you have a few cards you pass to the person next to you, you take one, you pass one along, and you're building this, you're building this again, sort of tableau of cards in front of you that when combined will give you certain benefits. Um and I really, really love the simplicity of it. And on the surface, it seems like there's not much to it. But as you start building your deck of cards in front of you and combining the cards that you have, it's very easy at the beginning of the game. And I don't know if you found this as well. I, I like that the game is not punishing at the beginning because you can change gears as you get cards and realize, okay, this card combines with this card, gets me some good points. I'm going to start going for this combination. I'm going to start collecting these guys. And they're like, well, you know what? I can collect this, this group and this group. And it'll still, they're still, I can still. And as you go, you're realizing all the things that you can do. And you did a video recently of talking about games that narrow choices as you yeah. progress in the game. And with all the choices that you have at the beginning, this is something I really like about this game. I think in this game, it's a really good thing. Because as you're as you're taking cards and drafting, you have a board in front of you. And of course you have a wonder because you know, you're playing one of the you know wonders of the world in this game and everyone has their own that they're building. So in addition to building your deck, you're also trying to construct a wonder that will also give you victory points. Um, there's also a conflict mechanic uh, where you're, you know, you're having conflict with the person on the left and the right of you based on, you know, the cards, you know, they consider war cards, the red cards, yeah. are the war cards. And, you know, every round you're trying to see how many, you know, war cards and numbers you have compared to your neighbors and you will get either plus or minus victory points based on that. Um, so there, there are multiple things going on, but I love that toward the end of the game, with all the selections, with all the things that you could have done at the beginning and you're building up all these combinations of cards, you are just looking for a few specific cards that will just take you, put you over the edge. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna get everybody with this one. I'm gonna come, I'm gonna get 40 extra points. And if that card doesn't come up, it can be the difference between killing everyone and just getting <laughs> demolished. So it really, you know, there's a lot of tension toward the end of the game as to what your final group of cards will look like. But I I, I love the tension of this game. I love the narrowing. I love the narrowing of selection toward the end. And this is just, again, a really simple, elegant design that is very easy to uh, ramp up a lot of angst and a lot of anxiety among the players. But is, is there part of this game that you like especially too or... Well, I've noticed a trend in some of the things you've talked about. There are a couple of games with positive player interaction, and I love positive player interaction games. Me too. And while there is the, the military aspect of this, and I, I like it, but it's military where you're not actually destroying anything, which is no. my style of, of fighting typically in games. Uh, but it also has a lot of positive player interaction because everything that you have played into your tableau um, or you, can be used by your neighbors, but they have to pay you some coins to use it. And so even if early on, like you said, early on, you might pay, you might play a stone or something and you may not end up, may not end up using that stone yourself, but your neighbors probably are since you took that stone and they don't have it. So I love that style of interaction in Seven Wonders. And it really does make you feel, make you think about what you're passing to your neighbors, yeah. because you can, you can kind of see what's going on on their boards as well. And you have to be aware, okay, what is the lesser of two evils? This will benefit me, but it will, you know, it'll benefit them more by so right. sometimes you end up swallowing a card that maybe isn't optimal for you, yeah. uh, but it, 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 it's the lesser of two evils because you end up passing cards that you know are not going to help them get the, you know, get the design on their tableau that they need. So I, I like that element of it too. I'm glad you brought that up. So yeah, there's a lot of play here. What's going to be good for me, but I don't want to pass someone that something that's going to be too good for them as well. And you have to be right. aware of that. 
Yeah, a lot of great interactions and, and, and angst and, and tension in this game. I taught it actually recently to a, a good friend of mine and his 10-year-old son who's getting really into oh, wow. gaming and went over really well with the, the, the three of us playing together. But it does scale also nicely up to seven players, which is awesome. And I think it is a great gateway. It is a great gateway yeah. game. People really kind of grasp it. Once you start playing, it's very easy to grasp. Yeah. So that's Seven Wonders at number six. We're in the top five now. Some some big games here. Uh, I know two of them. You haven't revealed your top three to me, but number five is Parks. Parks. Parks is a wonderful game. Yeah. It's a wonderful game. Again, and we also have to give, you know, Noah at Game Trace some love here because it's a beautiful yeah. insert. Because along with Deluxification, I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good insert, and this one uh -huh. has a beautiful one. So, yeah, we have, we have, we have to show the love there. Um, Parks, I had never played a game like this. Um, first of all, the game is beautiful. It's about trekking and touring, you know, the national parks and everything that goes on. The parks, hiking, uh, animals, collecting, you know, resource collection and resource management in this game. But it's done in a very, again, I use the word elegant a lot, but this this game really is elegant as well. And I guess he uses something, would you call it the ratcheting mechanic, where you can go as far as you want, you just can't go backwards. Is there another name uh, for that mechanic? I like that heard, name for it. I usually call it a one-way action selection track, but ratcheting says it all in one word. I like that. At yeah. the very least, it's quicker, but no, but yeah. that's what I, I would call it that too. But yeah, yeah so... The board is, it's a linear board, which again, you don't see in a ton of games. You usually see a board that you go around or that you navigate in different spaces asymmetrically because there's a lot of space. This one is more of a track, like Jamie yeah. said, and you have two hikers. Every player has two hikers. So I think you think of this game plays up to five players. Mm -hmm. And basically you are trekking the national parks and you could take pictures. You have a camera token that you can have that is really a good thing to get because if you take pictures, you get resources, those resources you can use later on. And you are trying to also collect cards and collect uh, things from the national parks that you're visiting mm -hmm. um but the thing here is once again that that's that simple mechanic or the simple mechanism of you can move wherever you want on the board and you're incentivized to go to certain spots because every round uh it changes a little bit uh, between rounds and there are different uh things that you can get on different spots on the board different resources you can collect on the board so if you see something that's like seven spaces ahead, you're like, oh, I really need that resource. I have to visit that area. I'm going to go. I'm just going to jump seven spots. That's all well and good. But you have to remember that you cannot go back. Everything right. that you missed is now lost to you in that round. So again, it forces you to think, what do I need more? Do I need to slow and steady and take things as I go? The other thing that's interesting is once somebody goes on that spot, they take that resource. You're like, oh, uh, now I can't go there now. I can't go to that spot anymore. If there's somebody on the board, I can't go there unless I use my campfire token. So that campfire yeah. token also becomes valuable. It allows you to revisit a place that someone else has already been. But that becomes something that you have to use, you know, very carefully because, you know, once it burns out, I think it refills at the end of the round once you've reached the end of the hike. Um, yeah. But it's so beautiful. And I, it's one of those games that you can also learn a lot from, which I you know learn about the national parks. Number one, what they are, uh, the different the different <laughs> yeah. elements. Uh, it, it's a beautiful game, and it's a simple game. Again, I, I sort of like that that idea that a game is simplistic on the surface, but has a lot of depth in terms of what you can do to manipulate the board, to interact with other players. Uh, the fact that you have two hikers that you're using and trying to use almost like a hopscotch mechanic to cover with the second hiker what you couldn't get done with the first one and it's right. a very interesting way of playing a game that I've, again i've never seen before um are you are you a fan of parks have you played before i am a fan of parks um i like it at well i want to ask you first what what do you have a player count do you that you really enjoy parks that more than other player counts by believe by it or not i've only yeah. played it at two Okay. So that's that's got to be a totally different. Okay. So now I want to hear what it's like in a bigger player count because it could be problematic. Okay. I like Parks best, best at lower player counts. I like that okay. two or three. I like that the game does go up to five. That's I like when games do that just in case you have a bigger group of players. But um, I like the lower player counts because you have a little bit more. You have less uh, less things changing between turns. Whereas okay. if you have four players going after your turn the the status of the board can change a lot between now and then right. um and the available cards but i really like it at two and i like it at three quite a bit as well but yeah two i have it on my two-player game shelf specifically because like land land versus sea of course I, that's one that i love to play it too yeah yeah i have now now even though i probably won't enjoy it at the higher counts i should probably try it but i could see because it's a small board yeah. i could see i could see the clustering happening at a higher like you know four or five there, there's a lot going on and it may get like you said it may give that feeling of oh i'm being punished if i don't get to what i need to do quickly because there's going to be a lot of stuff off you know a lot of stuff that i can't access even with the campfire i'm wondering if the campfire mechanic or mechanism changes with a higher player count in terms of 
refueling it because that would seem to be something that would really help, you know, sort of offset the the punishment of having that many players on the board. I don't know. I think there are some small offsets. I, that might be one of them. The track might be a little longer at five players. There's like a little bit, but it's not quite enough to make up for, for that. But again, I, I think this is a wonderful game. Even just hearing you describe it reminds me of how much I love parks. And I want to get back to the table at two players. Yeah. Well, we'll have to play virtually, Jamie. That's all we can yeah, do. We'll to, yeah. <laughs> so number four, this is the first, I think this is the first Stonemeyer game in your top 10. And maybe the only one. Uh, and it's the most recent. As well, Libertalia <laughs> wins of Galecrest. Okay, so let me let me take this out here. Okay, because I I buried it here with my okay. This is there we go. look at look yeah. at that look at the beautiful artwork. Look at that <laughs> game. Now I have to tell you, okay, and if you're you know if you're a Stonemeyer Games fan or just a Jamie Stegmeyer fan, you know he's a very humble guy. Um, doesn't like to talk that much about himself about his games. He likes to champion the industry more than he does his own products and his own company, which I think is wonderful. But there are certain times I'm like, Jamie, put your game on that list. It's clearly the number one. But, he, you know, and so in my head, I'm like, I have to be like Jamie. I can't look like I'm fanboying out on Stonemeyer games. I can't. But, but honestly, Viticulture would have been on here if I didn't feel so intimidated. Um, I, I, like I said, uh, between between two castles could have been on here easily. And Libertalia was a game. First of all, I did not play. And this is Winds of Galecrest, which yeah. is the latest iteration um, of Libertalia. Now, I never played the original, so keep in mind that I'm coming at this from someone. This is my first introduction to the game and to the system. So uh, I know there are people that probably compare, but for everything I've heard, people seem to really they they love the first one, and they seem to love this even more because it adds, you know, to, it sort of streamlines and adds things that really that really make it a wonderful. This is what I've heard because I haven't played the first one. Yeah. I knew I would like this game based on the description, based on watching you talk about the game and, and learning online and reading about it. I didn't think I would love it as much as I did. And again, this is a game on the surface that's very accessible. This is one that even though some people might not consider it a gateway game, I do. Because yeah. I think once people get to the table and they get past, okay, look at those great shiny bits. Look at those baked light pieces. Look at those resources. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get past the pretty and all the color. And like, what is this game? Everyone shares the same deck. I mean, everyone has their own deck of cards, but they're all the same deck of cards. Everyone is playing in any given round uh, the same cards. Yeah. So the puzzle of it becomes, how are you going to play your hand of cards that everyone else also has, the same exact cards, that will differentiate you and allow you to access the things on the board during the different phases of the game that will let you optimize to get the most out of it, to get victory points. And this is... The, I, I, it's sort of mind blowing for me because as we were playing the game, and of course, you know, you know me, I just talked about, you know, the, the baked like cube, you know, the pieces that were on there. I'm like, okay, I have to get one of those. That's pretty. And, you know, you're, you're looking at the game basically like, okay, uh, I have a day night, I have a, a day phase, I have a night phase, I can do different things. What card do I play this round that will maximize my abilities for this particular round, knowing that next round we're going to get new cards, but the cards that I don't play now, the ones that you play go away into your discard pile, which doesn't mean they're dead because they can still be accessed. So, yeah. right, you could still go into that and dig for stuff out of it. But the cards that you are left with stay in your hand, and now you're adding new cards with everyone else. Right. So now it becomes a little trickier because you have to sort of remember, okay, which cards did my opponents play? Which, which do they have left that they can still punish me with in this round that I have to remember? So, again, it sort of incentivizes memory being aware of your other of your neighbors of yeah. all the players turns because those cards that you don't remember can come back to haunt you just like the ones that you know you're holding from a previous round can come back and haunt someone else in a later round um like i said i love that there are different phases of the game i love the theme of this game even though it's not super heavy on theme in terms of how the game plays but i just the the artwork the animals um as the pirates which was wonderful uh, just everything about this was fun and it was interesting and it kept me engaged. And that one simple, that one simple mechanism of shared cards with different use cases and then adding to that deck and suddenly the shared cards don't become as much of a deal later on in the game. I think it's brilliant. And also, oh, the reputation track. Brilliant. Wonderful. Because what I happens remember. because you're, yeah. yeah, because what's happening and if you're sharing cards, there's no way to, it's like, we all have the same card that we're playing or that we want to play. How do you determine whose is? Well, there's a reputation track that constantly changes and you can move. And I think there is a strategy, Jamie, also to knowing when and when not to augment that reputation track. 
There is a, there is a skill to that. And, you know, uh, and you know, that's another fun puzzle within the game. Do I do this now? Do I change where I am now and gain the ability to put down a card early now, or do I wait, let someone have it until I have a card that's more worthy of moving myself up the reputation. So this is a game that I absolutely adore and I will play any day of the week. Um, and again, I, I knew I'd like it. I didn't know I was going to like it this much. I'm so glad that it, that it has resonated with you in this way. I, I played the original maybe eight or nine years ago, and it it blew me away with how streamlined and elegant it was. You mentioned that's kind of a, probably a gateway plus game where it's not it's not on love letters level of simplicity. No, it of course, is yeah, pretty easy to get into and start playing the game. And I love the idea, and I still love it in in our version, the the Winds of Gelcrest version, that you are very rarely are you targeting a person if you are doing a mean piratey thing. You're, right. <laughs> you, you are playing cards simultaneously and you are essentially discovering at the same time as everyone else who you are ending up targeting um, as a result of the other cards that the players have played. And so I, I like that style of interaction that you can be kind of there are some there's some piratey meanness in this game, but you're never you're very rarely saying, Mitchell, I'm taking your token. Rather, I'm saying I, I happen to be taking your token because that's what my, right. my character did. Not yeah. personal. And, yeah, you know, and personal. I. It, and I think one of the things that was done here that, you know, in this game that I really love, um, it, I think we talked about this, I think we talked about this on the radio show. It, it's an inclusive game. It's an inclusive yeah. game on many levels, different types of gamers, different player counts. Um, also, you know, different, uh, you know, you, there are different versions you can play. You can play a more take that version of the game if you want to, right. or you can just play just the standard competitive version. So if you have players that enjoy the, ha -ha, that do enjoy Jamie, I'm going to punish you in this game. There's some players that like that. I'm going to get you, Jamie, and take your, yeah. okay. And if you like that, there is a way to play the game that's like that. There's a version of the game that's like that. But if you don't, and you just want to have that simple, hey, it's nothing personal, but I'm taking. So I, I like that it's inclusive on many levels, player count, um, the, the style of game that you like. It's just, you know, it's a welcoming kind of game for me. Well, I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, I'm honored that you put this on this list. I'm not the designer of this game. Paolo Mori is, but I got to work very closely with Paolo and updating the, the version from 10 years ago. And uh, it's it's been our big release of 2022 so far. So let's get on. I love that we did this. I know all the games that you've listed so far. I do not know oh. your top three. So Mitchell, why don't you tell me what your top three favorite game is right now and why? Okay, this was number one and exactly. it's bumped down to number three. It's like, I hate it. No, it's just bumped down to number three. It is one of Jamie's favorite games uh, as well. Yeah. It is Quacks of Quedlinburg, the the Quacks. ultimate in in bag building, uh, building your pot, building. <laughs> you know, I like that you're all a bunch of quack doctors yeah. having to build up your pot uh, potion, and you know, it's 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 based on you know victory points, of course, and and building a bag of chips that you pull out, and basically you're pulling out bags, you know, chips from your bag to advance along your particular pot. Everyone has the same pot. You're trying to advance on that track. And the chips have different values and allow you to do different things and combine in different ways. And of course, the dreaded white chips, you don't want to go over seven of those or your pot explodes. Um, this game has a really cool mechanism, which is, you know, it, it's very much a push your luck game. Because uh, as you're drawing, you know, the chips out, you start to realize as you advance, the chips have numbers as well. Yeah. Uh, so you're trying to advance on the board. But once you start getting those white chips and are getting close to that magic number of seven, which you don't want to go above, you have to start making decisions. Am I willing to take a chance to advance on the track because there is something you to be gained the, the, at every round? I think there are there nine rounds. I think uh, eight nine or, or ten rounds. Yeah, yeah. Around yeah. Um, at the end of each round, the person who's advanced furthest on the track who hasn't busted. I sound like the Price is Right. As long yeah. as you haven't busted, the person who's advanced furthest on the track every round gets to roll a die, and that roll that roll can give you it can allow you to move your starting point up. It can give you um, a ruby, which is advantageous in the game. Um, it can give you a bunch of different things. It could give you a pure victory point or a, um, a pumpkin token. So there are advantages to going further along. So I've always found for this particular game, first of all, it's another game that whoever I've taught this to, it's an easy game to teach. There's a lot going on, but at the same time, it's kind of easy to grasp. Um, people that I've taught this to have gotten it immediately. Once you play the first round, everyone's like, oh, I got it. I love that there's simultaneous play. No waiting for anyone's turn. Everyone right. is taking their turn. Now, some people, for some people, this might be a negative because they like player interaction. Yeah. I like to be able to have that player interaction. Um, for me, you still have player interaction because you're still talking to your neighbors and there's so much yeah. conversation about what you're doing. Did you bust? What'd you do? What'd you, oh, why'd you pull that out? So there's yeah. so much going on in the game and I love that. Uh, there is a lot of luck to this game. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons, Jamie, that it went from one to three, I, as I game more, 
I love the lucky push your luck aspect of it. But as I game more, I realize I like having ways to mitigate bad luck. Mm. I like having ways to mitigate bad rolls or in this case, bad pulls from a bag. And I found that with quacks, there is a potion bottle that you can turn over if you pull out a white chip, as long as that white chip doesn't put you over seven. Yeah. Um, if you pull out a white chip, you're like, you know what? It's too early. I don't need a white chip. I want to advance further. I'll flip the potion and I'll put it back in the bag and pick again. Yeah. Yes, you can mitigate your bad luck like that. But if you're having bad luck and you are pulling a bunch of white chips or you could have 20 other chips in your bag and you happen to pull seven white, you, you're not going to win. If you have enough rounds of that where, and it does have a really cool mechanism with the rat tail that, you know, yeah, yeah, if you are, if you're far back in the game, you count the number of rat tails on the board between you and the furthest, you know, the person that's in the lead and the number of rat tails equals the amount of spaces you move up to start your, you know, to start your building of your pot. So there is a catch up mechanic, which is great, but it can be punishing. If you have a couple of bad luck rounds where you're just it can be punishing. So I think yeah. that's for me why I bumped it down a little bit. But yeah. overall, such a fun game. Uh, you know, there are cards that, you know, enhance certain aspects of the game that let you, you know, enhance things at the beginning of the round or the end of the round. Um, being able to use those rubies and manage those bits. I, I just think it's a, it's a ton of fun. It's a ton of fun to pull to pull the stuff out of the bag and to see what you're doing. It's, it's like a little party every time. Um, yeah. So if you don't mind a little luck uh, and a ton of fun at the table with, with your friends, it is a blast to play. And I think this fits really well side by side with Libertalia Winds of Galecrest because they both use a system which we essentially took from Quacks because Quacks does this so well. Where in Quacks, the tokens that you're pulling out of your bag, out of your bag, they have different meanings depending on the tiles that you select for them for that particular right. game. Most tiles are double sided. Most, uh, I think, many of the tokens have multiple tiles. You can choose one of those tiles and associate it with that that to- that tile to, to define like what is special about that tile in that given game. And we did the same thing in Libertalia. To add a lot of variety to the game in terms of the combinations, the, the so many combinations that can come out of from those tiles. So I think Absolutely. the variability of this game, despite having such simple language independent components for the most part, uh, is is really really high. And here's the weird thing: I have the expansions for this game. Yeah, never never played with them except for the extra cards that came from the second expansion. I yeah. added that to the deck. Yeah. Uh, but like the witches, I never never put the witches in, and it, they're cool. They add a really cool ability. You know, alchemists. Yeah. I'll just put the cards in. That's all I've done. Because yeah. to me, there's so much. I, I feel like there's so much more to experience. Like you said, turning over those, turning over those, you know, uh, the cards uh, yeah. in the marketplace, totally changing mm-hmm. the value of what these chips do, changes the game completely. There's so much to do in this game, and there's a lot of replayability in a, in a fairly compact box. So yeah, I, I love this game. I do too. So given that you put this at number three, um, I'm very curious to hear what's at, at number two, number one. So what's your number two favorite game right now? I don't know if you've heard of this. Wine Spain? <laughs> is it Wine Spain? Oh, it's Wingspan. Uh, and again, I easily, again, I'm 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 regretting things now because mm-hmm. you know, viticulture is also so near and dear to me that uh-huh. I easily could have put any don't get me started. I had a lot of angst about this choice. Um, <laughs> but again, I didn't want to seem like Jamie, I have to well, you know, put your game in, huh? So I so I put Wingspan because Wingspan is also a brilliant game. Uh this first of all, just the idea that there is a fantastic game built around bird collecting, uh, bird knowledge, uh, bird interaction, um, resources uh, generated by your birds, food for these birds, eggs for these from these birds. It's brilliant. Um, and I'm sure there've been birds in other games before, but this is the first game that I've ever played that had that theme. And it's an engine builder that it's just so elegant on the table. And it, again, I love games where I learn stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm now I'm outside with my family. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, what is that? What is that? Well, honey, that's a northern <laughs> mockingbird. Like, how would you know that? I feel like it's a Holiday Inn Express commercial. It's like, are you a bird expert? No, but I did play Wingspan last night. So, I mean, it's like I know all these birds now. Uh, but building your engine, generating resources, using those resources to enhance your engine. It's that, you know, that's what an engine is. It feeds itself and you're just building this beautiful engine filled with birds. And I love the dice system. I custom dice again. I know not uh-huh. typical because again, the dice is the way that you generate or that you know what resources you have for that round. Yeah. Um, and it just, there, there's so much thought that has to go in because again, once you start building from the left side of the board, yeah, you know, you're pretty much, you know, you're building from left to right. Um, and as you go along this left to right track on your player board, it enhances the benefits that you get from that particular track, depending on what that track is. Um, 
whether you know placing a bird or laying eggs. Uh, so there's a lot going on, but it all makes sense as you're playing the game. You could see this giant machine in front of you, these beautiful birds that you're putting down to generate these resources. And as you're putting down a bird, yes, you're thinking about victory points and how it enhances your personal score, but also how is it gonna feed the engine? How is it gonna generate the necessary resources that will allow me to do other things? So you're never just thinking about that one thing. You're thinking yeah. about how that one card can help other aspects of the game. And it's it's pretty genius. I've uh, again, I've played this in person. I've played this online. I played it. I think a Tabletopia is where I played it originally. I think mm -hmm. it was it was on was it on Tabletopia first yeah, or yeah. okay? It's still there. Um, so the Tabletopia version is the version that introduced the game to me. Oh, then cool. of course once I got it in hand, I was like, oh, pretty. I couldn't help. <laughs> I just loved it. Um, but yeah, again, you talk about an elegant design. Um, and I, I'm just very, I'm just very intrigued by engine building games in general. Mm -hmm. And the design sort of it, it it baffles my mind because when you're, it's sort of, it's sort of like you know, we talked about Fringe is one of my favorite TV shows, uh -huh. and I know I know you enjoy Fringe as yeah. well. And the thing about that television show, if anyone watching has seen it, is when they wrote that game, they they didn't when they wrote that game when they wrote that TV show. They weren't just writing for that season; they were writing two, three, four seasons ahead, knowing what was going to pay off. So you had to think four years in the future. And it's sort of like designing a game has a similar feel to me. When you're yeah. designing aspects of a game, you're thinking four or five steps ahead how this part of the game that I'm designing is it going to affect, enhance, take away from later, and especially in an engine builder where everything yeah. you do feeds that. So I'm just baffled by how you know how you guys do this. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's it's just. Now, Elizabeth Hargrove did an amazing job. It's a beautiful game. And um, is there is there an aspect to this game? I know it's a Stonemeyer game, but it's not your design, so you could talk about it more. That's Things true, that you love true. more about it. So <laughs> is there an aspect of the game that sort of, when you started playing it, when you saw it for the first time, like, oh, wow, this just got me. This is the part of the game. I know it has to be a Stonemeyer game. This is it. Well, for, for me, the, I mean, the big hook was the sheer number of bird cards that Elizabeth had designed. I think when we originally had our first meeting, there were around 80 to 90 bird cards, but every bird card I could tell was design theme first. She learned about, she researched that specific bird and she found mechanisms that made sense for that bird. And I, that, that is not an easy design skill to have, especially for that quantity of cards. And now with, uh, we have Wingspan Asia coming out, I think we're getting close to around maybe 400 bird cards. That's oh an incredible gosh. achievement for to design that many. And I found, you've talked a lot about theme today in this list. I found that Wingspan is one of those games where as much as I love building that engine, um, I am also drawn to just random birds. Like I might see a bird that looks beautiful and just simply playing that bird and then building around <laughs> it and using that bird multiple times is very satisfying to me in Wingspan. So I, there aren't many games like that for me where, I, where I'm able to where, separate my desire to win or compete with uh, my desire to do something cool, like an intrinsic motivation. And this is definitely one of those games for me. That, that's what I mean. This is another one of those games where I don't, I don't care if I win or lose. The, yeah. the ride is so much fun. And to the credit of the design, the games that I've played have always been fairly close. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, you know, and, and again, you know, it's how well people know the game. If you're introducing a new player, you know, better to have several new players and just sort of teach them together. But um, we've never had a game where someone just blew everyone away. Yeah. Um, and I've won this game a couple of times, which I was very proud of because I don't always win. So I was like, I won Wingspan. I think I even might have emailed you one time. I won Wingspan by five points. Like, very good, Mitchell. That's very good for you. You're very gracious. I was like, he's probably thinking I'm an idiot. But um, yeah, and just just gaining new knowledge. And like you said, sometimes you'll just you'll play a bird. Like, what is that? Is that a real bird? I've never yeah. heard of that bird. And up, things are going on that you should be paying attention to. It's like, that is a beautiful bird. Look at the beak yeah. on that bird. So no, I totally get it. It's very, you can become entranced very easily well i love that you picked it I'm, I'm glad it's brought you joy um and again hearing you describe it makes me want to get wingspan back to the table I'll, I'll, maybe i'll get wingspan asia to the table this weekend there you go what's your number one game mitchell i'm so curious now now where is it okay so <laughs> for everyone out there in the youtube's land i know that clinically i know clinically and intellectually this is not the best design of i i know that i, I look at wingspan uh, again i think of viticulture i think of um between two castles and that are just all those genius designs this one is not that but this is the game <laughs> <laughs> i have it's sad that i have to sort of like you know but this is a game that when my family comes over mm -hmm. we play mm -hmm. i bought it for my nephews and my brother 
so we can play remotely, which you can easily do because the game is very compartmentalized. I'm giving little clues to see if it's, yeah. you know, something. Um, the theme of the game, there, there is currently two themes that are out for this game. The latest one was just released this year, but it can be reskinned to almost any theme and any IP. So the company that puts this out, Roxley Games, can uh, mint yeah. their own money if they so choose, <laughs> if they decide to go with Star Wars edition. It is Dice Throne. Um, I, again, I, I know I'm going to take a lot of grief for this, but again, custom dice right there. Um, yeah. Basically, it's been called Battle Yahtzee. I'd yeah. like to think there's a little more to it than just Battle Yahtzee, but that's that's kind of what it's, you know, if you think of like rolling, re-rolling, re-rolling again to get the numbers that you want. Um, the way that's mitigated here and what makes it interesting is, let's say from the original theme, from the original Dice Throne season one and season two, um, it was more of a D&D &D, like traditional barbarian and different characters, you know, ne necro pyromancer and, you know, monk. So the tradi traditional D&D &D tropes again, where you're battling, it's a system where basically you have your little tableau in front of you and you have your custom dice and you have your deck of cards and you are head to head battling or it even, I played it with six people, Jamie, and it played oh, great. Wow. I was very surprised that it scaled that well to six players. So don't be scared off playing Dice Throne with more than two. It's really great. Mm -hmm. um, and you're basically rolling dice, rolling your custom dice, uh, and those dice will determine what abilities you gain to use on your opponent on any given round. And each round has different phases. Uh, you know, there's a market phase where you get to pick a card and you get you gain uh, you gain combat points, which can be used to uh, buy to buy more cards. Um, and then there's the offensive roll phase where, okay, I'm going to roll these dice and re-roll and re-roll. And your card will tell you what those icons mean and what ability you have to use on your opponent. So I'm going to, I rolled this great small straight in this game. And they have, you know, custom icons on there too, but it's a small straight. That means I can do eight damage to, to Jamie. He, I put this token on him, which means he can't play a card in his, in his phase. So there are different abilities that you have. But of course, once I roll that offensive phase, Jamie can, and I'm just using Jamie's example because I don't like attacking Jamie, but he can use his, you know, his ability, whatever his card says, as a defensive countermeasure. His yeah. defensive countermeasure may be, you know, you don't take four of that damage or for every heart symbol you roll, you don't take damage from your opponent. Or there are some characters, which I learned the hard way. Thank you very much, T'Challa. I love playing as the Black <laughs> Panther because I love the character and I love the dice, but Black Panther can't take back any of, I mean, he can't mitigate any of the damage he gets. He yeah. takes the damage and he, uh, instead of taking, you know, mitigating the damage, he does damage back like his suit will do, you know, it, it absorbs all this it, yeah. energy yeah. and puts it out there. So yeah. it is thematic in that whether you're playing the Marvel version or you're playing the more D and D traditional theme seasons one and two, uh, the abilities are true to the characters. And there's some cards in your deck that you have in your hand that will allow you to mitigate certain abilities or manipulate one of the die, you know, manipulate a die to enhance whatever damage you're doing. Um, so there are ways to mitigate, which I also like, and those cards, some, some of our cards are going to be shared. We're going to have similar cards in our own deck, but some of our cards are unique to our character. You can, you can also upgrade your abilities, including your defensive abilities. There's a lot going on. So I think calling it battle Yahtzee is a great simple way, but I think it also does the game a disservice because it isn't just the dice. There's so much other stuff going on, but I will get this game to the table any day of the week. Um, and it's a great game to play remotely. Because all you yeah. have to do is have your character out, your opponent takes out your character and their character, just have both characters out so you can put the effects from their board onto yourself. And you can play with anyone uh, over Zoom, face whatever you want. So I love that as well. So I know yeah. that there are many better games, but Dice, <laughs> Dice Throne is my number one. No, I, I I love this pick, Mitchell. I, I I've loved Marvel Dice. Or I've loved Dice Throne for a long time, and Marvel Dice Throne is is definitely among my top ten favorite games of this year. I've really really enjoyed playing it. Megan and I did a little mini tournament earlier this year where we pitted. I think you saw this on Instagram where we pitted I characters did. against each other, and we didn't always play the same character. Sometimes after uh, one character advanced, and another didn't. We 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 switched up and and tried different characters, and had a blast doing that. And I love the ultimate abilities in this game. When oh. you somehow pull off all sixes, whether they, you roll them naturally, you kind of manipulate them in the sixes and you get the the like the like super, super power of that character. It feels so good to pull that off. And I love it and even that, when my opponent does it. I don't mind, there's another game where I don't mind losing. If my opponent has done something really cool, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Yes. Yeah. And then you have to hope when you're pulling off that ultimate, because even though it's undefendable, which yeah. means a person can't roll their own dice to deflect any of that damage, but it is avoidable. 
So yes. if someone has a card that can manipulate one of your dice and turn it to something, suddenly you no longer have that ultimate. That is, so you go from this euphoric feeling to, <laughs> no, you didn't. Um, and this is also one of those games. And, you know, we're, we're probably rambling on. I know we have to cut, cut this short at some point, but you did a video talking about, um, you had talked about what you did with Rolling Realms and in teaching Rolling Realms to people. Yeah. Um, and I think part of teaching a game isn't just teaching someone how to learn the game, how to be competitive, how to, it's about making them feel comfortable and have a good experience and incentivizing further play so that make them, make them want to come back. Yeah. And I think when you, there was something that you mentioned with Rolling Realms where, which I just played with my brother the other night, we had a great time, by the way, that could have been on this list, uh, <laughs> where it's good to stick with the same realms when you're teaching a new player, yeah. stick with those same realms for the first few, even the first few rounds, because Drastic changing those realms drastically changes the game. And yeah. so you don't want someone to learn the game, get comfortable. Okay, now we're going to do these different realms. And now, oh, now it's a totally different game. Uh, so I think that was really smart what you said. And it's sort of that incentivizes future playthroughs and feeling comfortable with the game. I think Dice Throne is similar. There's some characters that are very easy to play at the beginning. And I suggest not only that you do that, but maybe stick with those characters for the first couple of games so people get the idea of the different mechanisms at play. Because when you play different characters, different abilities, it can feel like it's a totally different game. For example, I think yeah. I think Megan Loki'd you, didn't she? Did she get she, you with Loki? Yeah, yeah. That, we Loki'd she, each other, but she got me many times when she played Loki. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God, because Loki can be a complex character, a little bit complex, a little yeah. bit more than a standard character. So yeah. there are characters like that, or even Miles Morales can be a little tricky. Black Widow. Oh my God, I've been Black Widowed so many times, I don't even want to mention it. <laughs> so there are certain characters that have much more subtle ways of attacking you. It's sort of almost like engine building because yeah. Black Widow is almost an engine builder where she's putting tokens on that do nothing at the beginning. But if they add up, all of a sudden you're dead and you don't know how that happened. So yeah. I like the fact that, you know, it has that variety, but I would stick like, like you said with Rolling Realms, I would think the same way with Dice Throne, stick with the same characters for the first few playthroughs, just so people get a, an idea of how it plays and then advance to the different mechanisms and, you know, different levels of difficulty. I think that's a great, a great tip. And really, I like to focus throughout your entire list on accessibility. You've picked a lot of very accessible games here. Maybe Merchants of the Dark Road might be the one exception to that because it does have a bit of a, 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 a learning curve. But the rest of them, yeah, these are these are games that really help you onboard your way into the game. And you can do things like you would recommend there, playing the same character multiple times to help someone onboard themselves into the experience. Yeah. This is a great list, Mitchell. I've loved <sighs> hearing you talk about games today. I know we talk about games a lot, but it's been really neat to hear your rankings of them. I, I, I'm, I'm honored that you took the time to put this list together and talk to me about it. Oh, you kidding? Thank you for asking me. And like, like I said to you in the email, the funny thing is these lists are incredibly fluid. I could see there's so yeah. many games that have come in in the last six months for me that I still haven't gotten to yet, even more coming in next week. This yeah. list can look completely different a few months from now, yeah. which is really interesting, you know, depending on what comes in that really strikes you. So, but yeah, I will stand by, I think, most of this list for most of today. <laughs> okay, <my laughs> Well, thank you, Mitchell, for your time. For anyone watching this now, feel free to ask us any questions in the comments below I'll, uh, about, about these games and maybe let us know your top two or three favorite picks from Mitchell's list and why you love those games in the comments below. All right. Take care, Mitchell. See ya. Thanks, Jamie.